Good afternoon. It is wonderful to see so many of you have come back. In fact, my heart is warmed to see so many here this afternoon. This is a, a very relevant Bible study. And this afternoon, as the Sabbath hours dwindle, we have come together at a very serious time in earth's history to do a very exciting Bible study. And this is a Bible study. And I would pray and hope that as you participate in it with me, that you will leave this place encouraged that Jesus is coming soon and with a fire and a desire in your heart to ensure that when he does split the sky open, that you can be found faithful and waiting for him. It's good times to live, amen? And I'm glad that God chose me to live in 2005 at the end of this world's history. Now, I want to say right from the beginning that I recognise, I recognise that not everybody here this afternoon is a Seventh-day Adventist. And for some of you, this may be a new message. For others of you, it could be just revision. But it's an important message and I want to open with a scripture that is not in my notes here, but I felt the Lord impressing me to share this scripture with you before we get into the main body of the study because there are some things in this Bible study that have not taken in the context that Jesus loves you, if not taken in the context that Jesus loves you so much that he identifies powers that can damage your relationship with God, if you don't take it in that context you can become offended and I don't want you to become offended. I want you to see clearly what the Word is saying and why God gave us this study. But to do that, I want to invite you, as we start, right from the beginning, and it won't be up on the screen, to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. This is a beautiful scripture. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 that we can start our Bible study with to put the whole study in context. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. As I read this, as I read this verse, it tells, me, <coughs> it tells me how much Jesus loves me and how much he cares. Hebrews 4 verse 12. The Bible says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When you open the word of God, the Bible says it is sharper than a two-edged sword. And I've got to tell you from 15 more years experience of opening the word of God and studying the scriptures that at times as you open the word and you study the Bible, there are some things that will challenge you. And perhaps for some of you this afternoon, this will be such a subject. Let it challenge you. Let the word, the, the, the sword of God penetrate deep into your heart and go home and search God and see whether or not what we present to you this afternoon from the word is the truth. So without further ado, I'd like you to bow your heads one more time with me and we'll ask the Lord to be here and we'll get straight into this study. God... We thank you for the beautiful music. We thank you that we can come together in Australia in this free country to study your word, this exciting prophecy that tells us that you are coming soon. Lord, as we study this, this, this important study this afternoon, 
May your spirit be in this, this church. May your spirit be opening our minds. And may we leave here determined that above all else we will let your grace cover us and we, and we will be ready to meet you as our prayer, Jesus, in your name. Amen. April 2, a couple of weeks ago, 2005, at 84 years of age, Pope John Paul II died. He's being called the Good Pope. And I want to tell you that his death was an unprecedented event in world history. And those of you who saw the news, who were watching the television, saw live for yourself one of the most amazing events the world has ever seen. And I think that Pope John Paul II did more in his death than he did in his entire life. Many of you will have seen four million pilgrims cramming into Rome to view the body. They were in the streets. They were lined up in the millions, one behind the other, waiting hour upon hour in the hot Roman sun. And I've been in Rome and it can be very hot to view the body of the Pope. I went looking for the picture and you can see it on the screen, but they say, did you know that you could even see the lines? So large were they, you could see the lines from the satellites in space. And if you look carefully on the screen, you can see them. Amazing thing. More than 170 of the world's leaders turned up for the funeral. George Bush, the President of the United States, most powerful man in all the world was there. President Clinton, previous president to George Bush. George Bush Sr., three presidents, the three last presidents of the United States were there. Condoleezza Rice, Tony Blair, the Australian Governor General was even there to pay his respects on behalf of the Australian public to the Pope. Leaders of almost every denomination were there. For the first time in the history of the Anglican Church, Dr Williams, the moderator, you could say the General Conference President for the Anglican Church, you could say the leader of the Protestant churches in the world today, was there paying homage to the dead Pope. The evangelical Protestants were there. The charismatic Pentecostals were there. We, we have at home, uh, uh, we, we have three ABN and Hope and you get another five or six uh, religious stations with those two Adventist stations via satellite. And yesterday my father and I sat down and, and there was Benny Hinn. Now before we, we go too far with Benny Hinn, you need to realise that Benny Hinn has just been to India. Do you know how many people came out to see Benny Hinn while he was in India? Seven million. Seven million people to one meeting. And Benny Hinn was there representing the charismatic evangelical church and many others of his brothers and sisters. There were the, 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 the leaders, the mullahs of Islam were there, uh, the, the Jewish leaders, those who could because his funeral fell on Passover. Some of them were there and a host of other persuasions were gathered together for the funeral of Pope John Paul II. And so the funeral went ahead. With all its pomp and all its ceremony, I missed it. One, it was Friday night and I'm a Sabbath keeper. So I won't be watching the funeral of the Pope on Friday night. Secondly though, I was at camp in South New South Wales and did not have access 
to television. But do you know that the funeral of the Pope, Pope John Paul II, just a few weeks ago, was the largest funeral. It was the largest funeral, bar none, that the world has ever seen. Nothing has come close to what we saw just a few weeks ago when Pope John Paul II was buried. Not long after the Pope had been put to rest, the cardinals met together. Only met together for two days. One of the shortest conclaves, meetings of cardinals to choose a Pope in the history of the Catholic Church. And after 48 hours, those of you who are watching television, the white smoke came out of the chimneys. The thousands gathered in St. Peter's Square and I've been there. It's a majestic church, St. Peter's, and it's a huge, it's a large square. The thousands, they weren't sure whether it was white smoke, signifying that the cardinals had found a pope, or whether it was black smoke saying, well, you're going to have to wait another day. And as the bells began to toll, the people... The people in the square realised they had a new, a new Pope and there were tears of joy and there was clapping and there was, there was shouting for joy and there was dancing in the streets. The Church of Rome had a new Pope. The world, make no mistake, the world had a new spiritual leader and there was rejoicing from one end of the world to the other. I was looking on the internet just a few days ago and there in Times Square and some of you have been there, praise God, I've had the, had the joy, the, the privilege of being to New York, going to New York myself. There's a big screen there in, in Times Square in New York and, and there live on television was the, it wasn't the inauguration but it was, it, it was the announcement of the new Pope in New York, the United States the bastion of Protestantism, the leader, the leading country in the world, their live in Times Square was the announcement of a new Pope, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, a German. Pope Benedict XVI. They say the Church of Rome says the 265th Pope. Well, I'm not sure about that because they're counting from Peter onwards and I would question quite deeply, whether Peter was ever a Pope or not. In fact, there's strong evidence that Peter never even went to Rome. But Cardinal Ratzinger was born just outside Munich, Munchen in Germany. He's a conservative cardinal and good on him. He believes in what the Catholic Church teaches, he believes in what the Catholic Church preaches and he's prepared to stand up for what he believes. And if nothing else this morning, brothers and sisters, let me tell you that I, I in some ways admire the bishops and the archbishops and the cardinals of the Catholic Church because here you have a church that preaches and then is prepared to stand by what it preaches even when it's unpopular. Are you seeing that too? And Cardinal Ratzinger is such a man. He will not bend. He is not soft. He will stand firmly for their doctrine and their truths and their beliefs and he will not bend. He is against abortion. He is against contraception. He is against priests and nuns marrying. He, he is all for, very clearly, and if we had more time this, more, this afternoon, I, I would have brought the quotes along that Karl Ratzinger made where he is very clear that salvation can only be found through the Catholic Church. In fact, he has offended the Orthodox Church, he has offended the Jews and he has offended many in Protestantism because he's saying to them clearly, boldly, 
you've got to read his lips very clearly. He says, if you want to be saved, then salvation is found through the Catholic Church. He was actually, before he was voted Pope, head of the office for the Inquisition. This is the same group that tortured and put to death thousands of God's people in the Dark Ages. He's called the official protector of Catholic doctrine orthodoxy or the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith. And I want to tell you as we get into this Bible study this afternoon that the world awaits in breathless anticipation of the reign of Benedict XVI. And I think that Seventh-day Adventists are awaiting themselves to see what unfolds in the next few years. And today I want to answer some questions. Number one, is this the last Pope? We will look at that. Number two, will the Pope bring in the Sunday law, this Pope? Number three, can this Pope usher in persecution of God's people? Number four, has the Catholic Church changed? And number five, are our traditional Adventist views on the Catholic Church outdated and wrong? These are important questions and we'll look at them. But before I answer these questions, I want to remind you of some important Bible facts. Bible facts. The the Bible, now again... I'm not making an apology here this afternoon for this either. I'm just trying to make it clear. This is challenging, confronting Bible study. This is Protestant, not just Seventh-day Adventist, Protestant understanding of the Scriptures. Protestant understanding of the Scriptures that many Protestant, just about all the Protestant churches and to our shame, many Seventh-day Adventists have run from. But God puts it here because he loves you and he wants you to know what is going to happen so that you can be ready. The Bible describes an enormous power that will lead the world into a final grand rebellion against God. This is an end of the world scenario. This power persecutes the people of God. It stomps on God's law and it leads the masses, the billions of the world, straight into hell. Daniel 7 describes this power as a little horn. 600 years later, in Revelation 13, John in a vision describes this same power as a beast. And I propose to you respectfully this afternoon and I do it respectfully that the power that sets itself up against God and puts itself on his throne is the Church of Rome or the Roman Catholic Church. And I believe this afternoon I can give you good biblical evidence to back this up. Now let this challenge you but let the truth decide where you will stand. Let's have a look in revision. And we won't go too deeply into this because there's something else I want to share with you this afternoon. But in revision, let's have a look at the points in the Bible in Daniel chapter 7. This is important. And in Revelation 13, that describe this end time power that will lead, yes, will lead the world into a grand, into a great rebellion against God. A rebellion that if you are not walking with Jesus Christ, 
A rebellion that if you don't have a relationship with him in Bible study and prayer, a rebellion that will catch you up. This is not a rebellion that you can put your hand in the head in the sand and ignore and forget. You are either with the rebels or you're with the people of God. And I believe, because I believe we're seeing great events unfolding, that every one of you in this church this afternoon will be called to make a decision on whose side you will stand. Now, for you Seventh-day Adventists out there this afternoon, let me challenge you with something. There are many Seventh-day Adventists who will get caught up in the rebellion. Did you hear me? Being a Seventh-day Adventist will not shield you from this great end-time rebellion. The only thing that will shield you will be a genuine, deep relationship with Jesus Christ, rooted in the Bible and prayer. And if I die preaching this, so be it. But that is the way to ensure that you are walking with Jesus. Let's have a look at these points very quickly. Daniel in vision, chapter 7, verse 7 and verse 8. And I'm happy for you to read the text. We won't go right through the text because there's four that I want to look at specifically in a moment. But the Bible, Daniel makes it very clear that there will be ten tribes that would descend on ancient pagan Rome, on the Rome of the Caesars. And these ten tribes would split up the Roman Empire into their various sections and boundaries. And these ten tribes, if you study history, and I've had the privilege to do it, these ten tribes are the beginning of what we now see as modern day Europe. We have the Anglo-Saxons who were where? Where? England, the Franks. The Where? France, very good. Let, let me try one other. The, the Vandals. Oh, you think on that for a moment. But Daniel says that after these ten tribes have marked out their boundaries, there will arise, he says, as he is in vision and God showed him, a power, a significant power, a power that will eventually lead the world into a great rebellion against God. But he says that power cannot arise until after these ten tribes have staked out their boundaries. I want to tell you that they had staked out their boundaries. Does anybody know by when? Huh? By around about... 300 to 500 AD. And as they staked their boundaries out, assuredly as their countries began to form, rising up in Europe, not at the time of Peter, go and study your history books, not at the time of Peter, but after the ten tribes had staked out their boundaries, we see the beginnings of the Church of Rome. Let's go to the second point. It destroyed three. The church of Rome, the Bible says, would destroy verse 8 and verse 24. Uh, sorry, verse 8. The church of Rome would destroy how many powers? Vandals, Herolites, Ostrogoths. You know what they were? The Arians. They believed that Jesus was not God. He was a good man 
who came to earth, but he was not God. And the church of Rome said that he is God. Now, theologically, who was correct? The church of Rome. But the church of Rome was so incensed. Remember, at this time, it's still rather a small power that gathered the armies of the other tribes together and they attacked the Vandals. Who else? Heroli and the Ostrogoths. And I want to tell you today, you can go to Europe and you can see the ruins of the Vandal Empire, the Ostrogoths and the Heroli, but you will not find the descendants because they were wiped out by the Church of Rome. Historical fact. It was a holocaust, like no holocaust that we have seen in our time. Wiped completely men, women and children off the face of the earth. Point three, the Bible says in verse eight, this power will have as its head one man. Now you start to see the points add up here. After the ten tribes of Europe would destroy three of the ten tribes, would have at its head one man, almost from the beginning, the head of the Church of Rome, and we need to recognise this, has been the Bishop of Rome, who is called Papa or the Pope. Now let the Bible unfold its argument here to you this afternoon and listen to what the Word has said. Don't rebel, listen, open your eyes, And look what God is saying. Point four. It speaks blasphemy against God. In verse 8 and verse 25, God repeats himself. He wants you to know that this power speaks blasphemy. We're going to have a look at that in just a moment. It wages war against God's people. I want to tell you that from 538 AD to 1798, 1260 years, the Church of Rome has waged war against the people of God. It is historical fact. I have, with my own eyes and my two feet, walked through Europe with Pastor Harold Harker. I have seen with my eyes where the people of God were taken down into dungeons and were tortured to death. I've stood on the banks of river and watched where Anabaptists, men and women of God, were drowned rather than give up their faith by the church of Rome, by her soldiers and her clergy. I have been up into the mountains of the Waldenses, these God-fearing, commandment-keeping people who are killed by the hundreds of thousands. Sometimes their rivers, their beautiful rivers, running through the mountains, running red with their blood rather than giving up their love. For Jesus Christ, the church of God, the church, the movement that we belong to, that true Christianity belonged to, was birthed in the blood, not just of Jesus Christ, our martyr, but in the blood of these martyrs. And I want to tell you this afternoon that over 50 million people were slaughtered for their love of Jesus Christ. Point six, the Bible says that the church of Rome will change times and laws. I wish we had more time this afternoon, but we have to get to the point. But I could take you in the Bible, and I could take you in history, and I could take you to your local Roman 
Catholic parish. And you know, I respect the Church of Rome because of this. You go to any of the Protestant churches that worship on Sunday, God bless every one of them. Full of God-fearing people who I have no doubt are walking with the Lord and will be in the kingdom. But you go to any of their churches and you ask their pastors, and I've done it. Why are you worshipping on Sunday? And most of them will say, well, and they'll try and come up with some biblical argument that, 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 that perhaps Christ rose on Sunday or it's the Lord's day. It has no foundation in the Bible and the Church of Rome knows it. You go to any priest, you go to any Catholic theologian and he'll clearly tell you, we worship on Sunday and it is documented. We haven't got time to look at it, but we worship on Sunday because we change the day of sacredness. And not only do they claim that we change it, we have a right to change it. Point seven, rules for time, times and half a time. By 538 AD, the Church of Rome had established her power, had destroyed those three tribes. A time is just a Jewish term for 360 days. Time, 720 days is plural and half a time. One out, you've got 1260 days. You go and study your Bible prophecy. You don't know what I'm talking about tonight. Then on Monday night, you'd be downstairs in the seminar room to participate with Pastor Clifton in the, in, in the prophecy seminar that we're now running. And by the way, while we're the pastors of this church, we're going to run prophecy seminars back to back to back to back. So either we get shifted or Jesus comes. Because this is a message people need to hear and our world and our church needs to hear. But you will see that just as the Bible said, the Church of Rome, who had established her power with the destruction of that last tribe, 538 AD, she ruled for 1260 years to the year, just as the Bible said, 1798. And then her rule finished. Uncanny, amazing prophecy. And then we go to Revelation 13. The Bible says, and we'll go to this in a moment, now talking about the church of Rome as a beast, the beast receives, number one, a fatal wound. We'll look at that in a minute. The beast speaks blasphemy, point two. We'll look again at that in a minute. It rains for 42 months, 42 months, 30 days. The Jews had 30-day months, 42 times. You've got 1260 days, 1260 years. There it is again. Makes war against the saints. There it is again. God through the prophet John, is just repeating the warning that he gave the prophet Daniel 600 years ago. And God doesn't repeat warnings in the Bible for no reason at all. He wants you to know that this power threatens your relationship with Christ and you need to know it. And I'll show you how in a minute. Point five has authority over the whole world. Point six all, look at this, this is now, all the unsaved inhabitants of the world worship the beast. We're going there in a minute. And, and point seven, the number of the beast is 666. The Pope has around his crown a mitre that has on it vicarious, philidei. It is Latin. There are numbers that correspond to Latin, Latin letters. And if you add vicarious philidea, if you add the numbers that correspond to letters, guess what it comes up to? Six, six, six. Fourteen points. Seven in Daniel. 
Seven in Revelation. And I'm going to challenge you before we go on. What? Look, don't come to me after this program and say, that's ridiculous, it's not the Roman Catholic Church. If you can't accept this, fair enough. But you come to me and tell me another power that fits all 14 points. Oh, how I wish we had more time to study these points tonight. But listen to me. If you are struggling to keep up with me this afternoon and that is possible, go to the Prophecy Seminar on Monday night at 7.30 with Clifton. It is early days. It is not too late. You can understand these prophecies intimately and it's exciting. Because as you do these prophecies, you get a feel of how much Jesus loves you. And oh, he does love you. He loves you. All right, I want to look at four texts. Daniel 7, 8 and 25. Matthew 24, 15 to 22. Revelation 13, 3 and Revelation 13, 8. And this is where I want to spend the rest of the afternoon. Turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel. We are going to read these texts. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8. Daniel chapter 7, if you've got your Bibles, don't rely on the screen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8 and then we're going to look at verse 25. Daniel says in vision, while I was thinking about the horns, that's the ten tribes, there before me was another horn, that's the church of Rome, a little one which came up among them and three of the tribes were uprooted. The horn had eyes like the eyes of a man, led by the Pope, and a mouth that spoke what? Now I want to look at that for a moment. A mouth that spoke boastfully. Turn with me to verse 25 now. (coughs) He will speak against who? The Most High. And oppress the saints and try to change times and laws. And so it goes on. So we have this power... That, that, that I contend to you this afternoon is the church of Rome that speaks what against God? What? It speaks blasphemy against God. Now I have often wondered and I have heard pastors over the years and I believe this comes to the crux of the matter of what we're talking about this afternoon. What is it that God finds so offensive in this system? By the way, not the people. The system called the Church of Rome. God loves people in the Church of Rome. Amen? Well, I'll tell you this afternoon that God loves people caught up in the Church of Rome as He loves just as much as He loves people who are Seventh-day Adventists. Amen? He loves the world. He didn't come to save Seventh-day Adventists. He came to save the world. This is not a message for Seventh-day Adventists. This is a message for the world. That's who God came to save. And here we have, in Daniel chapter 7, a system, a power that speaks blasphemy against God. And I have heard preachers, even Adventist preachers, give me all sorts of things of what they think is blasphemy and what it is that Rome's doing. Well, I think it's time we went to the Bible and found out what this blasphemy is that so upsets God. Now turn with me to Matthew 24. Jesus. Because Jesus talks about this blasphemy in this great and wonderful end time chapter. Matthew 24 and verse 15. Are you there? Listen to this. This is Jesus speaking now. And if there's anyone we need to listen to in the last days of earth's history, brothers and sisters, it's Jesus Christ. 
And in verse 15, he says, so now look at this. I was confused on this not so long ago. I never understood it. But Jesus says, so when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel, Daniel 9, let the reader understand. Now look what Jesus says. When you see the abomination of desolation, Jesus said, you better understand what it is. And then look what he says. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, because Jesus says it's so important that you spend that day with me that even in time of persecution, pray you don't have to run. And then he says, verse 21, for then there will be a great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. And if you don't believe this is end time, look at verse 22. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. And what will happen? Jesus will come. Jesus says when you see the abomination of desolation standing where? In the holy place. Now this is all to do with what we're talking about this afternoon. Then the Bible says Jesus will come. Well I went to the dictionary and I looked up the word abomination. Look at this. It means abhorrence, disgust or a cause of abhorrence or disgust. And then I looked up the word desolation. Devastation or ruin or the state of being abandoned or forsaken. Now look at that. That's from the Dictionary of English Language 4th edition. Now look at the text. When you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, look what I've got in the practice. A cause of abhorrence and disgust that causes a state of being abandoned and forsaken. Jesus says, listen to me this afternoon, brothers and sisters. This is so important. He says, when you see something standing in the holy place that causes what? Disgust and a state of being abandoned or forsaken. Jesus says, let the reader understand. And then Jesus goes on and says there will be a time of trouble like the world has never seen, followed by the second coming. What is this abomination of desolation that stands in the holy place? You stay with me, this is so important. What happens? I'm going to ask you now. I, look, I've heard a lot of preachers say a lot of different things in this. Oh, the abomination of desolation was in Tyches of Epiphanes. Have you heard that? Apparently he slaughtered a pig in the holy place in Jerusalem. What has that got to do with anything? It's got nothing to do with the end of the world. Maybe he did. I'm not saying he didn't. What is this abomination of desolation? You Seventh-day Adventists, let me ask you a question. Daniel 8.14 What happens in the holy place? I want to show you something. Where's my pastors here? Rangi, come here. And I've done this at church. 
I'm going to do it very quickly for time's sake that you watch this because I believe this is what God has against the church of Rome. Rangi, are you a sinner? He doesn't know he's doing this either. Are you a sinner? Yes. What do you do when you sin and you're looking for repentance? Up loud. I pray for repentance. Show me. If I had a mic, show the people. Talk up loud. What do you, have we got a mic there? Now this is, this is unrehearsed. I'll say that God's our witness. Rangi, you show me. Get on your knees and show Now watch. Rangi's a sinner. He comes to who, Rangi? Jesus. Jesus. And what does he do? So let, let, let's bow our heads and let's, let's participate with Rangi. Can we, can we do it? Yeah. Let's do it. Bow your heads, please. Rangi. Let us pray. Dear kind and gracious Lord, a magnificent Lord as such, I wonder will come and die for my sins. Lord, I am a sinner and I am in need of you. Amen. I pray, dear Father, that you will please cleanse me and that you will create in me a clean heart and that you will renew a right spirit within me. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Powerful stuff, isn't it? Feel them experiencing the Holy Spirit as ringing praise. Does God hear ringing? Is ringing a sinner? And then God comes down in the, in, in, in the personhood of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And what does he put round Rangi? All go and study Zechariah chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 22. These are powerful chapters in the Bible. God puts around Rangi whose robe of righteousness? Isaiah 61.10, he puts around Christ's robe of righteousness. Now stand up Rangi. Whose robe is Rangi wearing? We've done this, brothers and sisters at church. Who's he wearing? So, so in the judgment that began on October 22, 1844, and Rangi's name comes up, and I don't know exactly how it happened, but this is what happened. In the holy place, brothers and sisters, we've been teaching this from the Word for 150 years. When Rangi's name comes up, who does God see? Does he see Rangi? He sees Jesus Christ. And he sees Rangi as what? Perfect or imperfect? Perfect through who? I tell you what, Jesus comes into Rangi's heart. He puts that robe around him and Rangi falls in love with Jesus. And I tell you what, Jesus starts to clean Rangi from the inside out. Amen? That's salvation, isn't it? Rangi will be in the kingdom. Sit down, brother, and look at this. You will not get into heaven except through that robe. You read Matthew twenty-two eleven and work out why the, why the servant was tossed out of the banquet. It's because he never had a robe on. He never had Jesus' righteousness on. It is called, this is called righteousness by faith. And listen to me, this is the platform, this is a platform that the Protestant Reformation was built on. Righteousness by faith that you can go to Jesus, that you can talk to Jesus. He will forgive you and he will put that robe around you. The abomination of desolation must be the means by which the Church of Rome interferes and attempts to destroy the life-saving work of Jesus Christ in the holy place. There is no salvation outside of this work. And they do it. 
You've got to understand I have a family that comes from Catholicism. My family was saved from this system. They do it through their works-dominated gospel. This is very simple, but look at it. Jesus. You follow Jesus? You, let's have the next slide, please. I want you to see this. Is it up there? The next slide, guys, because I want you to... You come to Jesus when you're a Christian and you get on your knees. Now, this is simple, but I want to keep this simple. In the Church of Rome, you come to a priest and he hears your sins, he's in the confessional and you're outside. When you're following Jesus, Jesus is the intercessor. Praise God. It is Jesus that puts that robe around you. It is Jesus that gives you his perfection. It is Jesus that you fall in love with. In the Church of Rome, read the writings of the last Pope. Who's the intercessor? Mary. And Jesus' way to salvation, it's a gift and it's free. It's called the gift of grace. You're caught up in the church of Rome when you have given, when you have asked the priest for forgiveness of your sins, then he will give you penance and you will have to go away and say the rosary or pay an offering or whatever. You pay, you pay, you pay for your sins. In Christianity, in in Protestantism, praise God, in Adventism, who pays for your sins? Jesus. Now now just stay with me because we're going to bring this to a close. Revelation chapter 13 verse 3. The Bible says the church of Rome received what looked like a fatal wound. In 1798, 1260 years, just as the Bible said, 1260 years after after that last tribe had been destroyed, Napoleon, with his general Berthier, marched into Rome and he took the Pope prisoner and he took the Pope back, back, back to Paris where he put him in jail and the Pope died. It was a fatal or it seemed like it was a fatal wound but Revelation chapter 13 13 verse 3 and Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 and let's read Revelation together chapter 13 verse 8 because I want you to see this from the Bible. Well let's go to verse 3 first. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound but the fatal wound was what? Healed and the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. When did the fatal wound occur? 1798. The fatal wound was healed. Verse 8. All, all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the church of Rome. All those whose names have not been written in the book of the belonging to the Lamb that was slain for the creation of the world. In 1929. 1798, the church of Rome received that deadly wound. In 1929. Mussolini signed a concordant granting the Pope full authority over the state Vatican City and he gave him 108.7 acres on seven hills which includes St Peter's Cathedral. In 1929 the Pope became a spiritual as well as a secular ruler again. Was the wound healed? No. No it was not. Let me tell you why, and I've used this illustration in this church before, I apologise, but I broke my ankle playing football three times. Three times I did not go to the doctor and finally I was forced to go in for surgery and I had surgery and it was, it was, a, it was a horrible surgery. It was surgery that hurt. 
And they, they, they had to take muscles because, because, because my ankle was so severely damaged that the ligaments had actually broken and disappeared. And they'd take muscles out of my, my, the bottom of my foot and they, they, they reached them up around my, 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 my calves and, and then the surgery was done. What was the wound healed? When was, when is my ankle wound healed? Thank you. My ankle wound is only healed when it is as good as it was before it was broken. Did you hear me? And the Church of Rome, the wound is only healed, is only healed when they are as strong as they were before they received the fatal wound. Let me ask you a question now. Are they as strong today as they were before they had the fatal wound? Are they? Do they do they rule the world yet? Do they hold your life in their hands? Is the wound healed? But I want to tell you something. In 1798, I believe it's God that gave that beast, that little horn, that fatal wound. Because between 1798 and 2005, the world has had relative freedom. Freedom for what? Freedom for people to find Jesus Christ like Rangi showed us and get into a life-saving relationship with him. That freedom will not go on. The Bible says the wound will be what? And when the wound is healed, we will not be able to meet in churches and places of meetings and speak like this. And you wonder why there's an urgency amongst many Seventh-day admins to get our people to rise up and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's because we are not going to go on as we have been. The world as we know it, brothers and sisters, is coming to an end. It will not go on this freedom. And you ought to allow the signs that you are seeing as this great beast rises up in power and authority and we see the whole world wandering after it. You ought to allow a fire from the Holy Spirit to start in your heart and you want to find Jesus yourself and get up and tell the world, your world, that Jesus is coming soon and that he loves them because it will not go on. You hear me? The wound will be what? And when the wound is healed... There will be no religious freedom. The abomination of desolation that stands in the holy place is a works-orientated gospel that you can work your way to heaven rather than getting to heaven through the grace of Christ and his robe of righteousness. And it is the church of Rome, above all other institutions and religions in this world, that advances a work-orientated gospel. Listen to this and we'll come to an end. When the spiritual influence, listening, when the spiritual influence of the Church of Rome is such that it is able to stand in the holy place and send billions of people to their unsanctified doom. When the spiritual influence of the Church of Rome is such that Protestantism will deny its own platform, righteousness by faith. When the spiritual influence of the Church of Rome is such that Protestantism will deny this platform and reach its hand across the gulf to grasp the hand of Catholicism, then Jesus said, then Jesus said, flee. For the abomination of desolation stands in the holy place. The time of trouble is at hand. The end of the world is upon you. And brothers and sisters, 
we are not far from this. Listen to this in conclusion. This is the, the London Times. This is a secular reporter, April 12, Richard Owen, and he is a, he's a reporter in Rome and he says, the Archbishop of Canterbury, listen to this, has signalled, this is the pastoral leader of the Anglican Church, which once was the, the, the great church of Protestantism. Listen, the Archbishop of Canterbury, this is in the London Times, brothers and sisters. This doesn't wake you up, nothing will. The Archbishop of Canterbury has signalled that the rift between Anglicans and Catholics stemming from the Reformation could finally be healed. Look what he's saying. Following the reconciliation between the churches during the reign of John Paul II, they call him the good Pope. As cardinals prepare to elect a new Pope, this was April 12, Rowan Williams, the first Archbishop, the first Archbishop of Canterbury to attend a Pope's funeral said, the roots we have put down in recent years, are far too deep to be uprooted. Dr Williams, who sat in the front row, sat in the front row, a a Protestant pastor, a Protestant pastor given by God the responsibility to carry on the reformation of, of Martin Luther, Huss and Zwingli and Jerome, men who would rather die at the stake than give up their Jesus. Dr Williams, who sat in the front row opposite the papal coffin at last Friday's funeral, said, it seemed to me absolutely natural that the Archbishop of Canterbury should come to share the prayers, hopes, grief and thanksgiving of our Roman Catholic brothers and sisters. Well, they're Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, human brothers and sisters of ours too. But that system, we do not share the same faith. We believe in righteousness by faith. That system believes in righteousness by works. We believe in the grace and the robe of Christ. That system believes in in, in the abomination of desolation and they are standing in the holy place and they are getting in the way of millions, billions of people finding Jesus. And the Protestant leaders of the world entrusted with this truth The truth of righteousness by faith are kneeling down before the papacy and inviting the abomination of desolation into their Protestant churches, churches that were set up through the blood of the martyrs. It's serious times. Dr Williams said that although the breach with Rome dating to the 16th century Reformation, which aimed to reform the Catholic Church and resulted in the establishment of the Protestant churches, was not yet at an end, There had been an irreversible reconciliation between Anglicans and Catholics during the reign of John Paul II for his successor to build on. Bishop John Flack, the Archbishop of Canterbury, representative in Rome, said that when John Paul II became Pope 27 years ago, many Anglicans would not have accepted that he was the leader of all Christians. Many theological issues remain to be ironed out. Where's righteousness by faith? Differences over gay bishops and the role of women in the church remain. For goodness sake, Protestant church, where's righteousness by faith? We're not arguing with our Catholic brothers and sisters over the ordination of women or, or for goodness sake, gay or lesbian bishops and pastors in the church. The schism with the church of Roman Protestantism was over righteousness by faith. And they're talking here about gay and lesbian bishops separating us from our Catholic brothers and sisters. It won't be long. When that is the issue, let me tell you, it won't be long. And we will see ecumenical unity 
like has been being preached by my grandfather and my father and the pastors and the brethren in this church for 150 years. It is coming. We are seeing prophecy open up before our eyes and it's a wonderful day to live in. This is not quite the Reformation, Bishop Fleck said as we finish. The Archbishop of Westminster, Cormac Murphy O'Connor, who conducted a joint prayer service in Rome with Dr Williams, said, Echinism or, or religious unity was a road with no exit. Listen, we've been preaching this. And that we desire from the depths of our heart that our churches should come closer and be united. We've been preaching this. And we're seeing it happen before our eyes. Close. Let's, let's just go through these questions. Can we have them up on the board? Very quickly. Is this the last Pope? Answer. Put the answer up. Nobody knows. Except who? Jesus Christ. I don't know whether this is the last Pope or not. I'll tell you what, I'm seeing some big things that tell us that tells me that Jesus is coming soon. Next question. Will this Pope bring in the Sunday law? These are easy to answer. Answer. Nobody knows. Except who? The question is not for Seventh day Adventists, I'm talking to the Adventists now. And to the Christians who are here today. It's not whether the Pope will enforce a Sunday law or not that we should be worried about. What we should be worried about is are we in a relationship with Jesus Christ that if the Sunday law came in we would stand firm? Isn't that the question? Next question, can the Pope usher in persecution of God's people? Answer. No one knows except who? The question is not will this Pope bring in persecution, the question is have you a relationship with Jesus Christ that is preparing for persecution? Amen? Next question. Has the Catholic Church changed? Answer. A resounding no. Go and read Great Controversy by a beautiful writer called Ellen White. Go and read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Go and have a look at what the Bible says this, this, this great beast, this great, this great movement will do. It has not changed. It is not changing. It will not change. You can be sure of that. Next question. Are our traditional Adventist views of the Catholic Church outdated and wrong? Are they? Answer. Go and read your Bible. I want to finish with Daniel chapter 7, verse 26 and 27. Turn there with me in your Bibles. This is good stuff. If you hear my voice going hoarse, it's not because I've been excited preparing this or sharing this Bible study. It's because I got the flu. But the Lord's seen me through. Verse 26 and 27. Daniel's seen the vision. Daniel's seen this beast that leads this almighty rebellion against God. And this is how he finishes this chapter. He says, but the court will sit. This is God. Judgment day. The court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. We're talking systems, remember, not people. 
then the sovereignty, power and greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be handed over to the saints. That you, that's you, the people of the Most High. And the Bible says God's kingdom, praise God, will be an everlasting kingdom and all the rulers will worship and bow down and obey him. This is a sobering message. But it's a happy message. It's not a vindictive, judgmental message. It's a message that the Bible gives us so that we can clearly know that Jesus is coming soon and we need to prepare. And we prepare by having a relationship with him and as we have a relationship with him, we share the message of God's love to others. Jesus is coming soon, amen? Do you want to be ready? If you want to be ready for Jesus to come and you want to stand through these last days, and how we are in the last days. I want to invite you, only do this. Don't mock God. But if you want to be ready today and you feel him moving on your heart and you respond to his love, I want you to stand up and I want to say a prayer for you. Just stand only if you want to be ready. Lord, we come before you as this Sabbath closed closes thrilling, thrilling Lord at these prophecies. We pray God for our Catholic brothers and sisters, many of them who love you deeply and have a relationship with you. God we pray for them that you will bring them out as you promised into the truth and that they will, they will clearly experience the joy that many of us have in walking with you and being covered by your robe and cleansed by your blood. I pray God for each person here in this church. May they leave this church stirred for you. May they leave this church with a desire, God, to, to delve into these prophecies and to find so much more. And may they leave this church, Lord, converted and convicted of your soon return, covered in the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ, is my prayer in your name. Amen. I want to invite you, if you will, just to stay here with us for another five minutes. We're, we're an Adventist church and the Sabbath is going out and we want to just sing a few songs and have a, a two-minute message and close with prayer. So, Rangi, can you come forward? We're just going to sing a couple of songs. So if you can stay, stay. We're just doing this as a church family. We're going to see the, the Sabbath out together. Clifton's going to say just a couple of words and a prayer and, and then... We'll, we'll say good night.